I'm Hans Madiwaini, and I uh, teach in the Bible department. So, um, a long, long time ago, in an earlier life, I was in the medical profession. After my undergrad at McGill in Montreal, I went to medical school and then finished my residency um, in internal medicine before I switched gears and entered seminary. I remember my first year of med school sitting in psychiatry uh, class and feeling completely out of my depth. I was a relatively new Christian and I struggled to understand psychology and psychiatry from a biblical perspective. Um, I was wrestling with fundamental questions about why we do the things we do, uh, what shapes us as human beings, uh, why do we struggle in different ways, and what is it that leads us to sin in familiar patterns? Um, at the time, it seemed to me that psychiatry had answers uh, to these questions, but those answers weren't always uh, consistent with Christianity. I didn't have the resources that you guys have, right? I didn't have classes with Dr. Washburn or Dr. Yu. No one had told me about the Christian mind, um, about faith and learning, or any of that stuff. So I began corresponding with uh, Christian physicians around the country about the questions I had, and I started reading anything relevant I could get my hands on. So I read the debate and the different views on the relationship between Christianity and psychology. I discovered the biblical counseling movement and the work of Jay Adams. Um, he was a conservative Presbyterian pastor who sort of blasted Christian psychologists for their syncretism and who tried to rethink counseling in biblical categories. Um, the theologian in me found him very exciting. Um, I even got a copy of the late David Pallison's dissertation before anyone knew about it, and I read the whole thing. So that was decades ago, and over time, I realized that there were some big flaws with the Jay Adams approach, but despite that, uh, I still have deep affection for the work of second and third generation biblical counselors like Ed Welch or Michael Emlett and others. But the question that I was really interested in was the mystery of the human condition and psychological struggle. What is that all about? Uh, the best biblical counselors offer great insights for pastoral ministry, but that's not quite enough for a full and a rich and a Christian understanding of mental health. We need other perspectives too. We need complementary perspectives that think carefully about general revelation and the descriptive insights of modern psychology. So the question of mental health has haunted me for a long time, right? Part of it is just trying to understand this area of life in a Christian way. It's an intellectual puzzle, if you will. But part of it is also deeply practical because I know and I've known uh, many people who struggle in this arena and many students on campus struggle with mental health issues. You sit in our classes and we've had conversations over lunch so for the rest of my time, I want to think out loud about mental health at Covenant College. Um, and if you have any reactions or feedback after this chapel, just free, free, feel free to shoot me an email with your thoughts or your experience. 
So obviously the pandemic has made this a lot worse, right? But even before the pandemic, students struggled uh, with mental health. Why does that happen? Why do they struggle that way? I think part of it is the fact that you are emerging adults, right? You, you know, that period between the ages of 18 and 23, you're no longer an adolescent, but you're not burdened yet with the responsibilities of being a full-fledged adult. Um, in your parents' generation, the path to adulthood was clear. There were the usual markers of like getting a job, getting married, raising children. It was all kind of laid out for you. You didn't have to think about it. But these days, becoming an adult is sort of open-ended. Uh, it's about developing the self. The pressure is on you to figure out who you are and who you're becoming. The culture tells you to construct your own self without relying on others. The old social signposts are no longer there, and you're like a hamster on the wheel trying to figure out who you are. Now your mentors are like social media, Netflix, celebrities. The pressure can be daunting and it can cause a great deal of anxiety. So that's on a general level. And I think that helps explain why mental health struggles are on the rise among young people, right? The studies show that psychological problems among undergrad students are at an all-time high. Counseling centers are filled to capacity. The counselors are working overtime. Uh, we're talking about things like depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, self-harm. And this isn't just on secular campuses, right? It's, it's a similar situation on Christian campuses. Maybe that's why you're all listening to NF. Now, some of you get here as freshmen and you already have a, you've already uh, been given a diagnosis of a mental disorder. Maybe it showed up in high school and you've been on medication since. Then for others of you, you started having mental ish health issues after you came to Covenant. Um, that's what happens when you take classes with Dr. Fickert. And even if, you're a, even if you're a student who doesn't struggle in this area, we're, we're a residential campus. So you, you'll likely still be affected maybe by your roommate or a close friend going through a trial, something like that. My question is still why? Why do young people struggle psychologically? Um, I learned a lot from an essay by Stephen Beers and his colleagues, and I'm going, to, I'm going to be generalizing, but here are four common reasons students struggle. The first reason is this. Uh, emerging adults tend to see the world as a dangerous place, uh, maybe because they've had a history of abuse uh, and that traumatic history sometimes bubbles up on campus. Uh, some scholars describe uh, the young generation as the most fearful generation, quote unquote. You've grown up with economic uh, uncertainty. You lived through the Great Recession. Your high schools talked to you through school shootings and what to do and so on. And then the COVID-19 pandemic has made it a lot worse. The second reason for this mental health drama has to do with technology. TV, laptops, social media, um, these technologies have been unkind to the younger generation. So I'm the Luddite professor on campus, so you knew I was gonna say something about technology. But what's interesting is how mental health correlates with excessive use of technology. And the evidence is striking, as you probably know. 
uh, and I quote from one study, um, Instagram, Snapchat, Tinder, Girls Around Me, Creepy, Situationist, and other social media apps are considered by many as gateway apps to behaviors associated with pornography addiction and other related addictive behaviors. Facebook underscores narcissistic tendencies, as do Instagram, RenRen, Tumblr, LinkedIn, Twitter, and a host of other mobile applications. Recent studies on Internet Addiction Disorder, IAD, have shown negative effects on social health, such as depression and anxiety disorders, end quote. And I'm sure that list of apps is already dated. Um, so, and of course, these technologies are not intrinsically bad, but they do come with strings attached, and so we need spiritual wisdom to use them well. Here's a third reason for mental health struggle. Some students don't have the resilience to face life's challenges. Right? And some of this has to do with the absence of deep personal relationships. Um, and once again, social technologies don't help us here. Um, so you might think you're having intimacy and greater connection with people uh, with these technologies, but it's really kind of the opposite. We're more alone than we've, than we've ever been before. Um, now, granted, lots of people struggle with loneliness and isolation, not just students, uh, but that just can make it harder to confront challenges. And then suddenly the question that everyone is asking is how can we help our students become more resilient? And that brings me to the last reason, uh, which is closely connected. Mental health struggles sometimes reflect poor coping skills when facing the normal uh, complexities of life. So maybe your grades or relationships or tensions from living with other people. Uh, imagine if Dr. Voss had been my roommate in college. I would have dropped out after one semester. So here's another reason students sometimes lack the skills to cope. And here I need to tread very cautiously. Your parents. Right? So your parents love you very, very much. But some parents can be overprotective. Uh, and this is kind of the darker side to so-called helicopter parenting. So you've always been on this tight leash so that when you get to college, you're afraid of failing. And you just can't handle disappointment and normal life challenges then become overwhelming. So let me pause for a second, give you a chance to catch your breath, because this is all a bit heavy. I mean, we've got the rain outside and then, you know, mental health. Um, is there no bomb in Gilead? That's what you're thinking. Professor, please give us something practical, something to give us hope. This is too depressing. I feel you, all right? But before we get there, Let's drill a little deeper into some theological questions, the questions I had as a med student. So far, I've been talking about mental health, but what does that phrase even mean? If you're struggling with anxiety or panic attacks, what part of you is in trouble? When your mental health is in free fall, where does the problem lie? Is it in your body? Is it in your soul? Is it some combination of the two? Or are we even asking the right question? Now, there are some who would say that mental illness is a social construction. Mental disorders do not describe anything real in the world. 
psychological or psychiatric terms are merely artificial constructs. Um, someone with this view might actually appeal to the history of psychiatry. Because historically, there were many diagnostic labels that we put on people that we no longer accept today. For example, phonemic paraphrenia, hysteria, insipid hebephrenia, and so on. Today, we don't believe any of those diagnoses are legitimate mental disorders. So that the social constructivist about mental illnesses worries that our current mental illnesses are similarly made up. They're not real. That's the social construction view of mental illness. On the other side are those who see mental health and illness pretty much like physical health and disease. These things really exist and they're rooted in maybe brain neuropathology. Uh, and if you're in this camp, you might say that your tendencies to self-harm are caused by maybe fluctuations in your brain neurochemistry. Now, Christians like Jay Adams, whom I mentioned, they take the social construction view of mental illness. Uh, and part of the reason they do that is that it allows us to affirm what is, at least the, what's motivating that is the um, desire to affirm what is central in scripture that we are fundamentally sinners before the living God. Um, and at its most extreme, this view says that mental health discourse is just fairy tales. It's a big distraction that gets us thinking about ourselves in ways that are foreign to biblical reality. All right, my first reaction is to say that there is some truth to this perspective. It is true that we live in a society that tends to medicalize all of life. We are encouraged to see the world and our very lives in narrowly scientific and medical categories. And I think that is a kind of reductionism where we are nothing more than serotonin and molecules and neurons, where the category of mental illness is expanded to include almost everything. And somehow that explains who we are and why we live the way we do. I also agree that this medicalizing tendency can make it hard for us to see ourselves in truly biblical ways, to recognize that yes, sin does haunt us and that our biggest need is to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But having said that, this way of thinking sometimes misses a bigger story. These critics, are looking only through the lens of sin and salvation. Hey, these are like very central themes in the biblical story and we should never lose that. But we certainly should not forget the doctrine of creation. We are creatures first before we are Christians. We are finite, we are vulnerable, we are fragile. The doctrine of creation reminds us that students sometimes struggle for reasons that don't have sin in the foreground. So now here my thinking has been shaped by the Christian psychologist, Eric Johnson. Because this world is fallen, we human beings experience many disorders of the soul, or we could call those disorders of the soul psychopathology. The most common symptom of our psychopathology is sin. 
But sin is not the only symptom of psychopathology. There are two other categories we should not forget. The first is suffering, and the second is biopsychosocial damage. Right, so people experience suffering and adversity, and that can result in psychopathology, especially when we experience certain kinds of suffering as children, uh, when we don't have the resources or the resilience to respond to the suffering, that can cause psychopathological damage. And the other category is biopsychosocial damage. Now, this is pretty complicated, but basically, biopsychosocial damage describes things like genetic defects or malfunctions in your body or your brain, distorted emotions, and things like that. So again, we're familiar with sin, but psychopathology can manifest as in, in the experience of suffering or as biopsychosocial damage or both. So I suspect that some of you struggle with mental health because of the impact of various kinds of suffering that you've had in your life. And a smaller number of you struggle because of biopsychosocial damage. Okay, if that's roughly the situation, what are the resources that you have to face these challenges? What has the Lord given you to build resilience? in the face of challenge. I wanna mention three resources, uh, God, rest, and community. So let me unpack each one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune God himself is with you, right? The Lord is on your side. He knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So cultivate a life of prayer and the regular reading of scripture to engage with God. I know we often have this kind of dysfunctional relationship with our father when it comes to spiritual disciplines and the like, guilt, shame, and so on. It all feels so difficult. Now, honestly, some of this is just old-fashioned spiritual warfare. Uh, there seem to be so many little things that make it difficult for us to make time for God. It doesn't have to be that way. It's not a burden. It's not a chore. It's not an imposition to cramp your style. We just have to be really clear-eyed about this. The triune God is literally with you. He's walking with you. He's dialed into your life, every nook and cranny. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You are united with Christ. So prayer and reading scripture devotionally is essential to your relationship with the Lord. Now I know you hear that a lot. We say that a lot. Yet for some of you, you know, is this really happening in your life? And you may need to take practical steps, right? Pick a time in the day to turn your phone off just for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever and just be in God's presence. And, and then just do that every day and see what happens. It might turn your world upside down. The second resource for building resilience is rest. 
I'm actually glad for the culture of observing Sabbath rest at Covenant. Um, by the way, President Halverson gave a great chapel talk on the Sabbath some years back. I recommend it. Um, we don't need to get hung up on the theology of Sabbath. Like, there's room for debate. But the principle is wise. Every Sunday, try to build in some time for rest, time that you can step away from the harried pace of it all, time that you can turn to God and ponder your own life and what God is doing. Um, This just helps give you perspective. It slows things down and takes out the static noise for a while so that you can think and reflect and ponder and even worship. So resting reminds us that we are creatures, finite beings. Uh, So sometimes our struggles are not directly spiritual. They may just be related to the fact that we are embodied. We live holistic lives. What we do with our bodies affects our souls as well. So maybe all of you shouldn't be taking 18 credit hours every semester, right? Take care of yourself. Eat well, sleep well, like the Xbox can wait for another day. These things matter. Concrete things like organizing your life better can also help with resilience. If you find yourself always getting behind or losing track of your responsibilities, start using a to-do list. Uh, Cross things off when when you've done them. Maybe keep your dorm room tidy. Sometimes the clutter of our minds reflects the clutter of our physical surroundings. Now, confession, if if you've uh, seen my office recently, I won't take offense if you say to me, physician, heal thyself. All right, the last resource is a big one, community, right? Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Loneliness makes things so much more difficult. I hope you have friends who know you well and have your back. Not just casual friends, but close friends, brothers and sisters in Christ who hold you accountable and vice versa. That kind of friend is priceless. And on this campus, you are surrounded by people who pray for you regularly, people who are invested in helping you flourish in spirit, soul, and body. Your professors speak into these issues in their lectures, in their advising, in their mentoring relationships with you. I cannot speak highly enough of the good men and women in student development, the chapel office, Res Life, Beckham Moore, and all the rest. They plan events, panel discussions, Bible studies, small groups, other programs to help you cope with life's curveballs. Don't despise these gifts you have. They help you build resilience. And then, of course, let's not forget the local church. You know, I I know that college students have a complex relationship with the church, right? It's not really your home church, so it can be hard to get plugged in, easier to be a Sunday tourist. Um, I get it. But my encouragement to you while you're a student is try to get plugged into the life of the church. Don't just warm the pews on Sundays, but serve the congregation, sing in the choir, teach the middle school kids, join the Mercy Ministry group. And I know COVID like maybe makes that complicated, but you you get my point. Connect with people by participating, by serving. 
I would even encourage you maybe to find a mentor in your church, an older man or woman you can meet with once a week or once every two weeks just to talk and to pray. Someone who's maybe not connected with covenant. These are just some small ways God can guide you and build resilience in your own life. At some point, you may need professional help. Many of you benefit from the Priesthood Center. That's wonderful. There is no shame in receiving regular counseling. These days, I mean, the running joke at many Christian colleges is, look, every student is seeing a counselor. You know, welcome to the party. Overall, I think it's a good thing that counseling is largely destigmatized in your generation. Sorry, I'm out of time. Um, but I hope you know I speak for all the staff and for all the faculty at Covenant. We love each one of you. We want you to thrive. We want you to flourish. Um, some days can be hard, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So may the Lord's benediction keep you safe and secure and loved now and always. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great, great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. I think you may be dismissed.